0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey folks, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. We're here with some more glorious conversation for your ears. And I really hope you enjoy this episode because I had a great time recording it. But before we get too far into it, I've got to tell you about something. And that something happens to be that I'm going to be in Nashville in a few weeks for... Summer NAM. So uh, I talked about it a few weeks ago, but just kind of a reminder. I'm gonna be there. I'll be wandering around, saying hi, maybe doing a little podcasting. I'm not really sure how it's gonna shake out. And bringing the whole family down, so there will be a, a whole Wilin crew running a, running amuck. So it might be a, a an interesting NAM for me, but I'll I'll be there. And I know there's a shindig going on with Stringjoy and uh, uh, Chicago Music Exchange. Not Chicago Music Exchange, that's today's guest. Eastside Music Supply, they're in Nashville. Uh, they've got a shindig going on Thursday night. I don't know about the times and all the details, but it sounds like it's going to be a good time. So don't don't, uh, don't schedule anything. That's the word I'm looking for. Don't schedule anything for Thursday night at Nam, which should be the 25th, July 25th, so here in just a few weeks. So I'm going to be going to that at least. I know that much. I don't know what else I'm doing the whole time. I'll figure it out when I get there. So I hope to see some of you there. We'll say hi, we'll fist bump, we'll do all that good stuff. It's going to be it's going to be a great time. Let's be honest. And what else? What else do I have to tell you about? Oh, of course I have to tell you about Sinusoid. Sinusoid Pro Audio Tour out of the great state of Washington. You've got an electric guitar. I'm almost positive you do. If you're listening to this show and you don't have an electric guitar, I'm very surprised. I'm very surprised you were interested enough to tune in today. But... You know, hello to you, non-electric guitar playing person. But if you're like most of us, you probably play electric guitar, which means you got to plug some stuff into some other stuff in order to make your sounds happen. Sinusoid has the stuff that you need to connect your stuff together so you can make sounds. So if you need instrument cables, patch cables, speaker cables, whatever kind of cable you can imagine, Sinusoid is the place to go. They're awesome people. They have a 100-year warranty. They're making some of the best cables in the business, and they stand behind them. They've been supporting the show for years, so just know, if you're supporting Sinusoid, you're also helping support this show. So thank you for all of you people who, I'm just, I've seen a lot of pedal boards with a lot of Sinusoid cables on them lately, so that brings a smile to my face. So go to sinusoid.com and help keep the lights on here, keep the lights on there, and everyone is happy. You get great cables and you'll get exactly what you need. So go to sinusoid.com and check out all that stuff. We are also brought to you by the wonderful, amazing, great-smelling, great-tasting, I don't know what other kind of positive adjectives to use, Gun Street Wiring Shop. Gun Street Wiring Shop out of Bend, Oregon. They've been creating custom wiring harnesses for your guitar. For Well, maybe not for your guitar, but for many people's guitar, and it should be for your guitar next. See what I did there? If you've been having any problems with your your guitar wiring, you got scratchy pots, you know maybe there's not enough high end poking through. Something just isn't quite right. Gun Street Wiring Shop is the place to go. And if you don't see exactly what you need on the site, feel free to email Sean and discuss your harebrained idea because he's just the guy to make it a reality. So make sure you go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check it out. Okay, I think that's all the house cleaning for today. So without further ado, we'll get right into this episode with Mr. Shelby Pollard from the legendary Chicago Music Exchange. This is very exciting. Been wanting to talk to him for a while. So I'll stop this. I'll stop blabbering. And I'll start blabbering in just a second. All right, here's Shelby. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Mr. Shelby Pollard from Chicago Music Exchange. How's it going, man? Great, how are you? I'm doing, I think it sounds like better than you, you're trapped in a basement.
1: Uh, well, you know, sometimes you gotta just find the quietest place you can, and conference rooms are taken, so I'm hiding... Uh, in between a couple of boxed amplifiers, uh, staring at some, uh, pedals. <laughs> oh.
0: well, I guess that's not entirely different than me. I'm just above ground. Uh, yeah. uh I, yeah. I am also staring at, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> staring at some pedals and I'm, I'm by a drum set. So it's a little bit different, but. Yours my probably amp- is a lot, co- a lot,
1: co- yours probably is a lot cozier than my situation. I feel like I'm in a bunker with like our entire shipping department above me trying to, uh, Ship out orders.
0: <laughs> well, hey, the orders got to get shipped, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, business doesn't stop no because podcast.
1: of podcasts. Exactly. You got, you got. Business must go on.
0: Absolutely, one hundred percent. So a lot of people know who you are, but I don't know if that many people know how you got to where you are now. And so maybe you can start like, what made you pick up guitar, and how did that lead to you being at CME and being the jazz master guy.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So I've been playing since I was 13 or 14. Um, I had been gifted a little harmony guitar from my grandmother for Christmas, and it sat underneath my bed for about a year. And um, yeah, then junior high came, and I vividly remember seeing uh, Blink-182 play uh, on MTV and was oh, just man. like completely enamored. It's like it's kind of like uh, this generation's Beatles Ed Sullivan moment, except for naked in front of a bunch of people on Spring Break, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and not not nearly as like uh, cool or with an, an like quite as much provenance. But that's uh, that's the real true story. You know, I saw them play and was like, man, playing music looks fun. Um, and then as my parents said for about the next year i very poorly uh was trying to teach myself how to play and then all of a sudden one day it just kind of started to click um so i've been playing for a really long time it's the longest thing i've ever done other than be alive as i generally say <laughs> um i like the, that i might have to yeah. steal that one that's a usual yeah, one yeah it's the longest thing i've done except for live um and then fast forward many, many, many years. I moved to Chicago, and had been. Um, well, I moved here, and with the with the idea of of being in a band, and uh, I was living in Central Illinois, and and working at State Farm. And I was eighteen, and I was like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. I have to get out of here now. If I don't get out of here now, like I'll, I'm just gonna live here for the rest of my life. Um, and then I moved to Chicago, and uh, I had uh um, an audition one night and being really young and naive uh, I was too tired to take my gear in the house and so um my car was broken into and all my gear was stolen so oh no (laughs) for about for about three or four years after that I was an acoustic guitar player only because that was the only thing I had
0: left (laughs) oh man that's rough
1: yeah. Yeah. I learned my, I've never, I kind of neurotically and, and pretty notoriously at this point, like I will, if anyone's doing anything after the show, we, I have to go to the rehearsal space or back to my house first. Cause I don't want to ever experience that ever again. Um, cause it was, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty rough. And then my wife and I lived in Austin for a year and, um, I had a, a big enough tax return to, Purchase a, an electric guitar again and uh, and an amplifier. And I bought one of those little road worn uh, Strats and mm-hmm. a Blues Junior, and I was playing blues music in Austin um, with a bunch of dudes that were a lot older than me. <laughs> um, and that was really fun. And I ended up, you know, coming back to Chicago after a year of living there and continuing to play music here and um became familiar with the, the store at that point and came in as a customer for the first time and, um, played my first vintage guitar. I'll tell you that story later. Cause I had to lie my way through that experience, which was pretty funny. Okay. Um, all right. And then a couple years went by and I, I started playing in a, in a band here, um, pretty consistently and, um, became a customer of the shop and, um, basically at one point asked if they were hiring and they told me I had no experience. And so I, I couldn't work in sales. So, um, I was, a I had many, many, many jobs over the years. Um, but, uh, right before I worked here, I was a bartender and I was also a photographer. And so I had started this blog, um, kind of get in the habit of uh, taking photos on a daily basis so just kind of guilting and forcing myself into practicing um, and I had gone on a trip and I came back and was at the bar and saw that they uh, that Chicago Music Exchange had an opening for a photographer um, in the in like their product photography department and so when my good friend Chris uh, Hirschman who was our videographer here for many years uh, worked here and I hit, I just texted him and I was like hey I saw that Seemings looking for a, a a photographer can you put in a good word for me and I had an interview um and 3 days later I started cuz they needed someone so bad so they didn't really have like any opportunity to even kind of vet my skill level
0: uh, <laughs> perfect so, I mean yeah, that's exactly. just what you want
1: exactly like I think they just like kind of liked me enough to let me start and they just needed somebody so desperately um, that I, I was in and uh, I had never done product photography before and, and quickly learned how to do that and um, worked in photo for a couple years and then moved to sales and been doing uh, sales management for the past uh, year and a half or so two years hmm that's the story that's, that's a the long story. That's me. That's me in the for the past uh, 18 years. There you go.
0: You just took 18 years and tried to condense it into seven minutes and three seconds. I did it. I mean, I didn't try. I think I did it. You didn't. You didn't. You went, fast forward. That's the cheater move. That's <laughs> uh, I, the guess, cheater I guess move that, that was a fact.
1: I mean, but there's like, there wasn't anything fun in between, you know? It was like, yeah, there was just a bunch of... Bad pop punk music that was happening.
0: Um, You're trying to tell me that's not fun? Come on! I mean, that's yeah, hard. I guess.
1: I guess so. We, my wife and I, went back to my my hometown. I grew up in a really small town in Southern Illinois, and we were just down there uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, there's this park there called Burl's Woods, and it was uh, there's a pavilion there, like a like just like a picnic pavilion that uh, is where me and some of my friends played our first show. And I was laughing because I was telling her I'm, I was like we played a Blink One Eighty Two song twice because the first time we played it the drummer's cymbal fell off the stand. <laughs> 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 I was like it was just the best worst first show ever. Um, played a lot of birthday parties, you know. It's just you're 15 years old. What are you gonna do? You're gonna you're gonna book the 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 uh, pop punk cover band in town. Um I once jumped into a pool with all my clothes on afterwards uh after yeah, you the, did, cuz it was you know an eight uh, there was an eight-year-old birthday party we were playing at so you know I just got just like punk rock things like that not 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 a big deal
0: Right right so oh, man that's like there's playing the eight-year-old's birthday and then there's like CBGBs you were just like right there I mean yeah, it was like Yeah this, and I didn't I didn't,
1: I didn't even know what CBGBs was at the time I was just like I see that pool we're gonna play the last note of the song, and I'm gonna jump in it. It's gonna be
0: crazy, and it, I'm sure it was a great time though. I'm somewhere sure there's a, a
1: vi- yeah. Somewhere there's a video. I've been asking my friend Eric for it for years. It was like I, I would love to watch this. I'm sure it's awful.
0: I have recently been. Um, I don't know what the word it's. I haven't been actively doing anything about it, but I've been thinking about there is a there is a VHS tape of me and my high school band playing battle of the bands in yeah. high school and um it's not good i remember that but i rem- i do remember watching it back after we played the show and and thinking that wasn't as bad as it was in my head but now i'm wondering if as an adult it would be even worse than it was in my head so i but it's also a vhs tape so i have to find it A. it's in my parents you know stash somewhere yeah and then i have to figure out how to play it cuz i don't have yeah. a vhs player right now but it's a I similar think that,
1: thing. Yeah, I think that uh, we're all still at some level of that. Uh, I don't. Th- I, maybe this isn't as bad as I thought it was. You know, like <laughs> I think whether it's a high school video or you know jumping into a pool at an eight-year-old's party, I think that we all still kind of are plighted by this. Like Ugh, that might have been really bad, but maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought it was.
0: <laughs> yeah, like maybe it was actually really cool. Maybe know? it was Kinda cool,
1: like, but sometimes would- it's not.
0: I was going to say kind of like, like, you know, if Keith Moon was still alive, you know, rest in peace, obviously. But I, I, I have a feeling that anyone that was there when he drove the Cadillac into the swimming pool was probably like that, you know, like now, like all these years later, looking back, like that was actually kind of awesome. But at the time, it was probably, it was probably awful at the time.
1: (laughs) I'm sure it was terrifying.
0: Like, oh my God, this
1: person just drove a car into a pool. Yes. And now it's like...
0: yeah, you didn't. You didn't do that, did you? Are I didn't you, have like, a car. You... I wasn't old enough to drive, so okay. It was a. Right.
1: It was an above ground pool. I just there wasn't a lot of options.
0: So, you did what you could, though, for the kids. I did. Kids. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's fantastic. So, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you what started this this jazz master love. When did the jazz master love fest kick in for you? It's kind of what you're one of the things you're known for.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it kicked in, it it really kicked in when uh I, I bought my first Jazzmaster. Um I was I was in a band called Minor Characters for for many years and uh, again I was friends with all the people that worked here and um you know CME had always taken really great care of me and I I was always wrestling with like what guitar I wanted. You know I I grew up playing Fenders pretty much exclusively and it was just always kind of on a search for like what my instrument was, and um, at the time I had a reverend that I bought on eBay, um, because Jen Wassner from YOCA had one, and um, that civilian record came out, and it was I was just enamored by her and her tone, and I just like sight unseen had never played one, I just found one on eBay and I bought one, and I had that. <clears throat> and a thin line telly. Um, and I was I was playing both of them. and I've never been really much to care too much about switching guitars during a set. You know, it was just like I really just want a good instrument. I just want like I can tune on the fly. Like we were playing in a bunch of weird tunings and I kind of always revolted against that idea. Um, and liked to just keep it simple and play around what the lead singer was writing. So I had that reverend and the reverend has the bass cut uh, knob on it. Mm-hmm. And I had come in to see CME. I mean, I had been a fan of of Nels Klein for many, many years and obviously kind of was familiar with what a jazz master was. And I came into CME and um, I bought a classic player and I played that for three or four years, you know, and, um, before working here, it was not as of, of an aggressive passion as it is now. Um, but it was just, it just felt like the right guitar. I, I didn't really, and before I worked here, I really didn't know anything in retrospect about instruments or how all of this stuff works or pickups and pots. I just, I don't, I'm not one that really even kind of cares about that stuff now it's like that you know i always tell customers it's like does it play good and do you like it like if it checks those two boxes then you're then then who cares you know who cares what anybody else thinks and for me they were some of my friends that were working at the time were trying to get me to buy um a, an american-made jazz master probably one of those 62 or 65 vintage reissues at the time and i just honestly didn't have the the money for it and um i just didn't i just didn't care i i like it just the the classic player just felt so great and so right even though the you know they're like well the pickups aren't the right pickups and at the time like it just didn't it didn't matter to me. I was like, can I get rid of these two guitars? Can I give you this jet stream? Can I give you this thin line telly? And will you give me that classic player? Like that's as binary as it was for me. Like, you know, <laughs> right. like, can I give you these two guitars for the one guitar that I want to leave with? Um, and then I played, like I said, I played that for many years. And then when I started working here, um, I bought what is, you know, probably the guitar that I'm known for on my, on my social media, which is my, my white jazz master. And I was still working in photo. And I opened the case to take a picture of it, to, to list it for a website. And I just closed the case and put it behind my desk. Cause I, I was like, there's <laughs> like, I was like, there's no reason to even photograph this guitar. Um, and really that guitar led me to the knowledge that I have about the instrument, the passion that I have for the particular instrument, the, the, just the story, like every, I, I still look at it today and kind of just scratch my head and think about it because it's a total mutt and a refan. And so there's some things that like kind of always still make me question what it is. And so like that, that uh, ever, or I'm sorry, or never ending like quest for like trying to understand that guitar Is really what um, you know made me more infatuated with the Jazzmaster, and and then then simply like when I moved to sales, I was uh, one of the only ones here at CME that really cared, like was passionate about that guitar. So, um, you know, when when I first moved up to that position from photo, it was a terrifying move because. You know, I'd been doing videos here and there. It's funny, I, I look back at my first video for CME, and it is a Jazzmaster video, and, it, like, I can hear how terrified I am still to this day, like, in my voice, you know? <laughs> like, it was, you know, is this, this, a big deal. It was a big deal for me to to be here. I never thought I'd be a part of the video team. I never had aspirations to work in a music store. I just felt so lucky to be here. Um, and so when I moved to to sales... I saw an opportunity to become an uh, an expert on something really specific because no one else was doing it, you know. There was there was guys that were dedicated to Les Pauls, there were guys that were dedicated to Strats, you know, everybody kind of had their thing and I was like, "You know what? I'm going to I'm going to pick up this this Jazzmaster thing and just kind of run with it." And that's how that happened.
0: That's that's really interesting. So it just became that one and it was just it just it was like a light switch moment almost you open the case and you and you like you didn't know it yet but you peered into your future inadvertently yeah, yeah i straight. mean you're like no no one else can take this from me
1: exactly i mean i tell my I, I, I tell my wife all the time it's like that's the best money i've ever spent in my in my entire life like it, i i had no idea what that, I mean, it was a lot of money for me to spend, you know, it was $2,500 and it's a vintage refinished jazz master, which, Oh my
0: gosh, that's exactly what I want. Yeah. Uh,
1: And uh, it's what everybody, it's what everybody wants, you know, it's like, and I got so lucky and, and as I've dissected it and kind of spent more time and you know, that, that guitar has taught me a lot in a lot of different ways. And, um, I, yeah, to, to dissect that in a, in a couple of different, um, instances, it's like, I try to tell customers too sometimes spending a little bit more than you're comfortable with, um, is good. And I, and I, you know, just disclaimer, I hate being a salesperson. I don't feel like a salesperson. And so when I say things that sound salesy, that's really not what I mean. Um, like what, like I know it would be really easy for a salesperson to be like, yeah, you should spend a little bit more money. Like That's not what I mean. When you spend a little bit more money than you're comfortable, even if $50 or $100 is more than you're comfortable with, there's a certain amount of guilt <laughs> that comes with crossing <laughs> your own like comfort threshold that forced, it, at least for me, it, it forced me to play that guitar for the first year straight. I, I kid you not. I could not leave my apartment in the morning without playing that guitar because I felt like it would be an injustice for the amount of, uh, of money I would invested in my in myself, you know, like for for me I had just purchased this instrument and I'd spent more than I was like really comfortable with. So I just felt like it would be an injustice to not play it and it was it was just such a good investment in myself. And so it really it shaped the way that I relate to customers and and again, and not like a super salesy way, but just in a, you know, when you are making a purchase or when you are dreaming of something, you know, you are investing in yourself. So, um, that, yeah, that guitar has, has paid me back in in spades of experience over the past five years. So it was definitely a a good moment.
0: (laughs) That is, that's really interesting. And I'm going to start telling uh, my wife, when she asked me if I really need that, I'm gonna say Shelby told me it's an investment in myself, and so, so that's the way I'm gonna look at it from now on. And I, I think that's a healthy thing. I think yeah. that's that's just totally fine. I like. I it. get a I like lot it. of
1: angry phone calls from wives. No, I don't. That's a joke.
0: <laughs> I also
1: have, but you have to. I also have a very strict one in one out policy. So <laughs> it's so. Uh, uh, so there's that too. It, this is a there's a balance to all of this. It's like you can't, you can't be hoarding stuff. And if you find something that's better, you got to be willing to part with something that you got that's not as good.
0: You know what? This podcast is over. I don't need yeah. to take this kind of advice from you. this yeah, is, this ridiculous. is really,
1: all of my all of my uh, theories and all of my practices are really not great for uh, a retailer. But that's the way that we that's the way we are here. That's the truth. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, well, I, I, since I've been verbally attacked on my own show, I feel like, I feel like I don't need to pursue this conversation any further. I'm, yeah. I'm hurt. No, I'm it's hurt.
1: fine. That's fine. You can do, you can, you can be you, man. I'm just telling you, I'm telling you what's up.
0: I've, I've only gotten rid of one guitar in my life and, uh, and I kind of regret it. So, I mean, there's that. Yeah. But I, there is a point there's a point I'm going to hit. I'm going to hit what like max capacity and I'm going to have to do like what the, the Wilco's the loft does every once in a while on reverb. And just <laughs> stuff. That's going to be me here pretty, you know, maybe not pretty soon, but at some point in my life. Yeah.
1: I mean, I had to I, working here. I had to instill that, that practice. Cause if not, it would be really, really bad. You think that not working in a music store is rough every single day. There's something where I'm, kind of scheming of, ooh, if I got rid of that, I could get this, or if I traded that, if I sold that, you know. There's, like, really only a couple of pieces in my collection that are even able to be moved at this point, Um, so I'm pretty pretty locked in at the moment, which is good. I I feel like I'm in a good place, because ultimately, kind of coming back to the the Jazzmaster thing, like, that's all I ever reached to play out anyway, so everything else that I have is just kind of for fun. Like I firmly believe and my point of like sales to people is that everyone deserves to have one fantastic instrument and then everything else is just for fun. Like it's, it is, it is a different palette. It does do a different thing. But when you have like that, like that jazz master, like I hide it when I'm out of town, I leave everything else out as bait, you know, like, just take, just here you go. Here's some really expensive looking gear. Just steal that stuff. Just don't keep looking for anything else. Cause I like, if that, if that guitar, if that guitar was stolen or something happened to it, I would be completely destroyed.
0: <laughs> oh man. I, I relate to that in a big way. I, I always hide my junior when I go out of town. And I've debated, like, I have a safe I could put it in and I've yeah. put it in, I've not too, which feels, you know, I feel pretty good about that. Mm-hmm. Then like there's the weird paranoid part of me that's like, but if they come in to break in the house, they're gonna have a lot of time because we're gone for a week. Right. And, and nobody's gonna know. And it would be really easy for me to get a safe out of this house within a week. Like Yeah. I'm like, and they're gonna know the safe is where the good stuff is. Yeah. Like
1: maybe that's I should the put the
0: guitar in under the house. <laughs> you know, or some or yeah. crazy I'll dig a hole and no one will find it. Like yeah, I don't know. L- let
1: me clarify. When I say out of town, I mean gone for like maybe ten hours. I'll hide it. If I'm gonna be gone for a week, it the guitar goes wherever my dog is going. So generally, it ends up being my, like, the same way that my dog is being babysat by my mother in law. My guitar, the Jazzmaster, is also going. Like it's there's no there's no me relaxing for five days on a vacation. Thinking that 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 jazzmaster might be stolen in Chicago, like I, there's no way for me to even remotely like chill out at all.
0: <laughs> no, no, especially considering you've had all of your gear stolen.
1: Yeah, at one yeah. point. Yeah, this is this is completely PTSD. Like I'm, I've, I've been there. I've done that. I don't ever want to do it again. So, but uh,
0: well, because if it did happen again, and it was because you left it in the car or whatever, you would, you would never. You would never forgive yourself. No, no. And I <laughs> just like take the precautions. Just I just take the precautions now.
1: I fantasize about like, oh my god, this this jazz master is going to get stolen. Like, thankfully, CME has three vintage buyers, and they can scour reverb, and people would probably help me find it. And good luck trying to sell it. Like, people know. Like, I, like that's how deep it goes. Like, I I already like. I've already visualized the search and rescue party for it, you know.
0: <laughs> oh man, we have similar wiring. I've been like, uh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of photographs of this one on the internet. Yeah. Like It's going to be hard, like, man. Good luck. From a lot of different angles. Yeah, like uh, I wouldn't like to be the guy that yeah. was trying to trying to pull that one off.
1: So. I'm cursing the future thief.
0: He doesn't That's even right. know it yet.
1: He's he's already He may not
0: even exist. Yeah, but- exactly. He's he's been hexed. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> a good old Pollard hex. Yeah, it's strong. So do you, uh, do you do voodoo, or or do you practice Santeria, or what's your thing?
1: Oh no, I don't do either. Uh, I I really I um
0: no. I was just trying to get a feel for what kind of hex we were working with here. It's not that really, I really it's know the
1: hex. It's the hex that just came out of my mouth. That was the extent of. The hex—that's <laughs> the extent of my hex experience. It was just the that the word was in my brain, and then and then it wasn't.
0: Well, what the hex? Yeah, I know. Oh, that was a that was a bad dad joke. Ooh, that was ne- whew, Next question,
1: Blake. Next question.
0: I felt that one. Next question. <laughs> this is my show. I'll tell you if I'm gonna ask the next question or not.
1: All right. Well, you had a bad pun. I could. I mean, I was helping you move it along
0: it it was a really bad pun but yeah story of my life my whole life is a bad pun uh but no i do want to ask you some specifics about that jazz master so you've dissected yeah. it every which way mm-hmm. what have you found what 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 are some big revelations or takeaways you've had from obsessing over this one instrument
1: yeah so it was it wasn't just me it was at the you know at the help of many things and first and foremost i'm going to say um Instagram and that whole community has like been fantastic. And when I started um, you know this this passion and, and purchased this guitar, like I really leaned on and found a couple of people that were also playing the guitars, i.e. Michael James Adams and at the Ooh, time my boy. Yeah, at the time Todd Weisenbaker was playing uh, his red jazz master a lot. And I I found a couple of people that I just kind of pointed at and was like, I want to be friends with those people. And through the power of the internet, that that really happened. And uh, there's also a gentleman by the name of Jim Shine who had an amazing website up that uh, I recently found him on Instagram. And so now I've been sending him messages when I have questions about things. So um, it's not, I I can't, and also our vintage buyer, Daniel Escariza, who uh, really, um, has spent a lot of time with me and he and I will wrestle back and forth and look at vintage guitars and, and, and have a, a good debate about it. So I, I don't want to just take credit for the things that I found out over the past few years. It was definitely a communal effort. Um, but when I bought the guitar, it was uh, it was labeled as a 1965 refin because uh, here at CME, we label everything's year by the last possible the old you know the the newest possible date on the instrument and so okay the guitar when i bought it and and the case made made sense and the neck the neck pocket is 1965 um and when i bought it i just didn't i didn't know anything about vintage guitars really it just it was my very first vintage guitar and um over the years I started to look at it and learn more and and really like scour over that it was called Jim shines intricacies of the jazz master. And I read it and I read it and I read it and I read it and that, you know, I just started to realize that because of this guitar, people started asking me questions about their guitars and, you know, slowly but surely like I started using my social media as a, as a, um, as an outreach you know, basically to other people who are interested in this instrument. And I felt like we kind of learned together. You know, if someone asked me a question that was a little bit out of my reach, then that meant that I needed to do more research. And so I would kind of pull my little posse and uh, and find out, you know, and then, you know, voila, you know the answer forever. And so as I was doing that with my own guitar, and again, like I said, I, sometimes I still stare at it and scratch my head. I'm like, all right, cool. The whole thing, the whole instrument, is just a complete weirdo to me because it has a very late nineteen sixty-five stamp on the neck. I think it's October, which means, in theory, it could be, or it should be, a bound uh, board with with dots, um, or or possibly blocks. But it is unbound completely, and you know, a quick disclaimer for all. Vintage aficionados or or nerds or, or appreciators out there, there is no such thing as a completely true one hundred percent answer all of the time when it comes to Fender. That's the most frustrating thing about uh, uh, working here and or like becoming really interested in the history of these these instruments. Like there's there's just no there's no way to possibly know that everything is original all the time, um, and so. And Fender, especially in 65, you know, CBS takeover, like they're not following some staunch protocol. They're this massive, like monolithic company that's taken over this, this brand that grew too big for a a one time radio repairman. You know, like that's, that's the story. (laughs) Right. That's, that's the real story. It's not like there was some exact way all of these things were made. Yeah. so, anyway, 65, late 65, most people will tell you it should be bound with dots because we're going to move into a period of time where it is then going to be uh, bound with, with blocks. Um, but it's not. Uh, also, interesting fact about those bound fretboards with dots, a lot of those Jazzmaster necks are stamped with a, a strat code in there those those necks were originally built for stratocasters and and it pe- people were freaking out and so cuz they didn't like it so they just put it on the jazzmaster instead so wow.
0: my yeah. i had no idea
1: yeah there's a lot of those that are stamped 13 cuz they were built for for strats but then it was it just it flopped and people were like nope and so they put it on the the lesser model and that's why you see that neck on a lot of jazzmasters so first and foremost is like this is weird. So this this neck is a sixty-five, great. As I again started to learn, you know the headstock, um, you know the whole guitar is a refend, So basically any kind of natural convention is out the window. The label, the logo, is an old Fender logo. It is a it's a spaghetti logo. That would have been from an earlier year up until 62 or 63 was the transition into the big block logo, which most people think that that's a CBS thing, that that's actually um, it's a pre-CBS change. They changed their logo before CBS bought the company. So you see those big F, like the big Fender F before 65. But it has a smaller spaghetti logo. Okay, cool. Someone just put a different logo on it when they were finishing the guitar. So then... I'm taking off the pickguard, and I'm looking underneath the pickguard, and I was like, well, these pickups are black bobbin. They are not gray bobbin, as they should be from 65. So then I say, okay, well, you know, again, someone refinished this guitar. Who cares? Maybe they put in earlier pickups. No no big deal. It's still, because you can't really, again, say for sure, like, um... And then I'm still looking at the guitar and I look at the trim piece and the trem piece says Pat penned. And I'm like, well, patent pending stopped. Thank you, Jim Shine. Again in 60, 63 Like that they, they get you put a patent number on there in sixty two, like in, in preparation for the, the Jaguar. The whole spring underneath that assembly completely changes for the not the Jaguar, the base six um
0: okay for the for the heavier strings
1: for the yeah (laughs) because the 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 spring changes um in preparation for like the heavier string tension um in 62 and, and and at the time they get the patent number so 62 ish you know that 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 piece of hardware is different and so all these things to me are like oh man this guitar is not not a 65 I think that I think it's a little bit earlier but none of them were like definitive enough for me to just, like really feel that way until I had the body open and I posted a picture of it and I think maybe it was Blake Kimball or one of, one of my Instagram friends was like hey those are taller crown symbols th- uh, and, and that again denotes like a 61 or 62 or earlier there's a period of time where they just they switched to a, a smaller Uh, uh, bridge thimble that actually is kind of flush with the body and this has a much taller thimble and that that piece enough was enough for me to say okay listen you're gonna refinish this guitar cool I get that you maybe put a different tailpiece on there I get that maybe you put the better pickups on there but no one really wants to go through the trouble especially if I'm assuming in the eighties, this refin was done to pull the symbols out and then put them back in into what's like a really thick, heavy polyurethane finish, you know, like, so I, I believe that the body of the guitar is 61 or earlier, kind of based on some digging around, um, and some help from some friends, uh, and the neck is a 65. Um, but still, like, like I said, the, the logo is different. It's just a complete, Weird mutt, you know, and and I I love it. And it's so it's such a it's such a puzzle to me.
0: (laughs) That's so that excuse me, that's so crazy. Like that thimble part, especially like it's almost like, why? What? Why would you take the time? But like, I don't know, it's all I, I have a thing I almost prefer. I mean, obviously, my wallet definitely prefers guitars like that to perfectly, you know, original, unique or not unique, perfectly original, like vintage specimens. You know, I, yeah. I like the guitars that have a story. They're more interesting to me um, that that guitar that you have is is a perfect example of of what I'm looking for, because, uh, you know, you can probably relate to this several years ago, one popped up on Craigslist. It was kind of similar story. I don't know about like all the details, but it yeah. was a 65 and it was a white reef in and some of the original burst was kind of poking through in just the right ways. And I was cool. like, I want it. I want it so bad. But there was absolutely no way that was going to happen at that point in my life. I I had no money. yeah. So uh, it was like going to school and working. And it was just like n- that was never going to happen. But ever since then, that guitar is stuck in my head. <laughs> and It's a very is a very close example of kind of the same the same vibe. Type of thing but well man thank you from for taking me through it
1: oh yeah yeah absolutely from my i mean i'm sure there's still so many things i'm gonna learn about it and that's what's cool um and it's like kind of because it it's not pristine and it's not like sacred there's i'm not afraid to do like to take chances like the pots aren't original i put a 250k volume pot in it because i was so tired of rolling the volume back and like losing all of this audio i put the mastery on it because i was like i just want this thing to play you know and and that that's my experience in general with what you know the industry calls player grade guitars is that uh they're they're actually generally better instruments because someone took the time to put frets on it or to make upgrades that make it a player like i've played i've played more vintage strats tellies and jazz masters than than a lot of people and most of them are really bad you know that that's not something that's really talked about pretty openly or in an accepted way uh in in this industry but it's just it's just true like something that's completely pristine generally isn't that great um you know like it just saddens. It yeah, just wasn't it was played. played. <laughs> yeah. It just wasn't played. You know, like it, it okay, great. It's clean. It's awesome. It's gonna go to a collector. I get the provenance of that. I understand the collection side of what it is that we do. Um that's not what really interests me or motivates me. It's just it's it is a part of the industry and I um accept it. But a lot of the the best playing instruments, you know, I have played some absolutely fantastic all original vintage guitars they're just less frequent um, we had a 52 gold top uh, about a month ago that I sold and it was perfect it was fantastic it was it was it could I it the pickups were perfect the guitar was perfect it played it had frets it just was perfect and you know a lot of times when people get really hung up on the vintage aspect of these guitars um you you forget that, you know. Really, truly, right now we're making better instruments than than were ever made in that period of time. Um, I don't oh, know if yeah. I don't know if you've read the book The Birth of Loud, but I'm I'm currently working through it, and I highly recommend it to you and all of your listeners. Um, it's just a really great uh, dissection of. The late '40s into the '70s. From I haven't gotten to the end yet. I just kind of am taking my time. But you know, it's just starting out talking about Leo and Les Paul and Paul Bigsby and just the three of them trying to get the first solid body to the to the market and why that was important. And it just does a really great job of putting all of these things into perspective. And basically. Leo Fender had to hire George Fullerton, a, a competitor at the time, um, to come and help him undo a ton of mistakes on some lap steals. Like the, like, they were all so bad, you know. Like he had to, he like had to like bite his tongue and like ask a competitor to come help him overnight, like fix all of these problematic instruments, and so. You know, we do a really good job of holding up this history on a pedestal, but you forget some of uh, what the uh, the history actually really was.
0: That's interesting. Who who wrote that book?
1: I can't remember. I think it's Ian Port. Ian Port, The Birth of Loud. OK, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good. Um We had uh, we it was just sitting here. We were selling it at the store, and there was an extra one. I just borrowed it and started reading it. It was just and really the truth of the matter is, poor Paul Bigsby really got the short end of the stick. Uh, There's a part where um, Leo Fender sees Merle Travis's Bigsby guitar for the first time in in Fullerton during a a show, and he like walks up to him and says, "Can I borrow that?" (laughs) He just he just borrows Merle Travis's Bigsby guitar for like a week. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a fascinating read and, and it really does like a, a good job of putting per- some perspective around some of these events that we like look back on and kind of just take for granted. Cause it's just something that you grow up with. Like even, you know, whether or not you love or hate Clapton, I just was reading the part of where it was just like talking about like the Clapton is God thing and like putting the, the framework around like, oh my God, the only reason that the Les Paul is still a car, like a a conversation piece is because Keith Richards and Eric Clapton bought these cheap guitars that Gibson said, you know what? This is an old man's jazz guitar. The Les Paul was a complete flop. And all of a sudden here comes this punk kid that just turns these Marshall amplifiers up as loud as he possibly can. And that is what happened. You know, like, like, we just listen to Layla and we're just like, Oh, whatever. I've heard the song a million times. Um, but I don't know, sometimes as a music fan, cause first and foremost, I just, I think of myself as an appreciator of, of music and history and trying to put yourself into the shoes of, uh, of hearing that music for the first time. They did a great job explaining like Dylan at the Newport folk festival in 64 too. Like um, just blowing people's heads off with a Fender Strat, like people were like shocked. I mean, they were. It was like a f- an all out assault on their, uh, you know, their senses. Like they had never heard music that loud before, ever. Like, can you can you even remotely contemplate that? Um, and and how different it is now.
0: I mean, it's it's hard to imagine. I mean, my entire life. Les Paul has been like in in my mind it's always been the weapon of choice for kind of harder rockers and yeah. like metal guys like i mean you know Les Paul customs have always been eye candy to me and sure. that's mostly because a lot of the the metal acts i was i was following at the time were playing these things and um and and so it's weird to think like our perception of these things is are is so much different like a jazz master for instance is is a good example like how long were those like the most or not the most, but one of the just most undesirable things that were relatively easily attainable. And then along comes Sonic youth and a bunch of others and everything's completely different. It's like one, one artist can completely change the, how the public views and thinks of an instrument.
1: Yeah. But you know, even, even looking at the Sonic youth and the Elvis Costello and the, and and, the, um, you know, even the Nels Klein references, those guitars still, going back to the Jazz Masters, still really weren't interesting or accessible until 2007 or so. And really, um, it comes down to a gentleman by the name of Justin Norvell, who is uh, one of the heads at Fender, who said, let's rethink the Jazz Master. And that was the classic player. And I was talking to him the uh, last time or the second to last time I was out there about that like that was that was his idea and uh really you know there's some a couple of changes on there or whatever and and to really like reimagine that guitar and take and take the the step to put that out there was pretty pretty brave at the time and and you're still seeing you know it's I always say it's really easy for me to sell people on a jazzmaster because most people don't understand it they've never played one and once they do they're like oh This is really cool. You know, like, so for me, like the Les Les Paul and the Jazzmaster have a really similar story. Obviously, they've gone two very different directions um, in history, but they both remit for one thing, discontinued for a period of time and came back and and do something completely different than they were supposed to do. (laughs)
0: That's 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 a really interesting analogy. I never really thought of them being that similar because t- to me, I, you know, as instruments, other than them being guitars, it's hard for them to be more different. But yeah, they're completely different. Yeah, the story is very similar. I never, I never drew those those parallel lines there. That's very interesting.
1: Yeah, it just happens that you know again, Cl- like Clapton and Keith Richards grab in the early '60s these discontinued. You know, American-made guitars that are just you know kind of lost on the market in the United States, and make them this incredibly iconic thing, and that never really happened with the Jazzmaster. It always just kind of flew underneath the radar. With like you said, like Sonic Youth and Dinosaur Jr. and 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 Nels Klein. Like I when I I talked to Nels about his guitar, and he's like, when I bought that from he bought that from Mike Watt from the Minutemen. Um, like Iggy Pop's guitar player. He's like, when I bought it, I bought it as just my guitar, like my rock and roll guitar. Like, I just didn't, he's like, I didn't care about it. He's like, I used to throw it across stage, like, to the drummer, and the drummer would rip the strings out of it. He's like, I just, it just didn't mean anything to me, you know? And then it's just so, like, you know, a lot of what this whole entire industry is, is kind of retrospectively implanting importance on some of these things where. A lot of the guys that, and gals who played all of these types of instruments, they gravitated towards them because that's what was available. It really wasn't anything more grandiose than that. We like to tell big romantic stories about about it, but it's just not actually true. You know, like it, it just, it just was the weapon of choice or it's what you could afford. And and then, you know, looking back on it, we kind of impart this importance on it instead of it being the other way around.
0: I mean, it could be that we're imparting importance on it or it be could because, you know, be, it could be because of what happened to it and what it went through and what it eventually produced sonically that it actually gained its own importance in some weird way. Maybe it almost like it earned it. Somehow,
1: it yeah, it definitely did. But the user wasn't the one who forced it. It was the instrument, right? Or or it was the records, or it was the period of time. It was the music. It was the physicality of what you could create with whatever the instrument may be. But it definitely wasn't like it wasn't the user, you know. It wasn't. It wasn't Eric Clapton like being a vintage snob. There was no such thing as a vintage snob, you know. Like (laughs) didn't right didn't exist. it that didn't exist. It was just, oh, I I saw Keith Richards play this one time. I am enamored by American music. Here is this American made guitar hanging up in a shop. I will buy this. Like that's that's it. That's all that it was. It wasn't it wasn't anything bigger than that. So but but you're right, like what was created because of it is what makes it important.
0: Yeah, so it's like it's almost a way like you could view it as two different ways. You could view it as what you said, where there we bestow importance upon it because of what it created or maybe what its creator and its owner was able to do with it was important enough that it became important. I don't know. It's kind of splitting hairs and it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, but it's a weird you know philosophical type of question i suppose i love those
1: types of questions
0: (laughs) it's not a there's no real answer to that and there doesn't
1: need to be i think you know it's just there's two ways to look at a lot of stuff and you know whatever way you anyone chooses to approach it is the way that you should approach it but for me it always kind of it's just a good reminder especially working in this industry just to you know again like i said do you Do you like it uh, and does it play good like that's all that's all that matters at the end of the day
0: yeah and end of the story 100 percent. yeah so i remembered last minute and i i really need to get better about this but i'm me so i probably won't i remembered (laughs) at the last minute to put some some uh, put out to the facebook group the tone mob facebook group uh some questions for you And most of them, uh, unsurprisingly revolve around a certain topic and it's not, and it's not jazz masters.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. And this, this is a, this is, you know, I, again, I didn't give people enough time. So there's not a ton of stuff in here, but, uh, our mutual friend, I know you know who this is, Mr. Philippe Herndon of Carolina. Oh, I I
1: love Philippe so much. He's one of my favorites of all time.
0: Oh, he's a legend. He's a legend. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. He says, if I want a bowl of tomato soup poured into a loaf of bread, do I need to go to (laughs) Chicago or will Panera do?
1: Okay, pizza, I get it, cool. (laughs) He's ripping on Chicago deep dish pizza, and that's fine, everyone can have their own opinion, whatever, but you also have the right to be wrong.
0: Okay, we do, we have the right to be wrong. Now, I don't, I don't know that I, and I probably have, I don't know that I've actually put out how I feel about Chicago style pizza, but I don't know yeah. that I have a valid opinion because I haven't, I've had quote unquote Chicago style many times, but yeah. I don't know if it's the real deal. Cause I've never been to Chicago. So well, I'm it, like it, it's not, I the re- it's
1: not the real deal. No, it's not. I, say, I promise right? you. I promise you. You have to come here and we can go and we can, you can have, so here's the deal. Here's what people don't understand about deep dish pizza. You have to understand the Midwestern mentality. And it's really this simple. Do you or do you not want to take a nap after you eat? Like, that's it. Like, do you want to binge on a huge slice of pizza and then go take a nap? You're going to have maybe a beer with your pizza. Take a Mm -hmm. quick nap. Go out and do something else. No big deal.
0: No big deal? No big big deal at all. No big deal. No big deal
1: you, you got to go to Pequod's. you got to try Luminati's, you know you, we can go on a whole tour it's not a, you know everyone wants to be mad about it Philippe we'll talk about this later um <laughs> but yeah it's a, it's a, i mean, it's, a, it's a, literally the question i get m- on a more daily basis um because a lot of times when people are coming into the store this is the last place that um either it's the last place they they they're, they're, they're they're stopping before they're going to the airport and it's the first place. And so like, what, where should we go get Chicago's pizza? So I'm just as much of a Chicago tour guide as I am uh, a sales manager, I believe at this point.
0: I love it. That's, that's, that's fantastic. So the answer though is, you don't you do need to go to Chicago. You can't you can't just go to Pizzeria yeah. for that. No, 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 no.
1: You got to go to Chicago. You got to go to Chicago. My brother-in-law lives in San Francisco and I, we always joke. He's like there's a bunch of places here that say that they're Chicago deep dish, but they're just not. And I was like, "Man, you know, when I retire at 35 in a couple years, I'm just okay, going yeah. <laughs> to move. I'm going to move to California." And we're going to make a real Chicago deep dish pizza place because it just seems like if there's a bunch of imitators out there, there's a massive opportunity for someone to just go do it well and then people will freak out. You don't even have to do it that well. You know, you just have to do it that much better than all the people who like never had real good pizza before. You know what I mean?
0: I I think so. It's kind of like, you know, like <laughs> like over here, like I will go for a New York style slice knowing that I'm missing a little something that the big apple manages to squeeze into their pizzas. But I, yeah. you know, but if I'm around, that's what I'm going to gravitate towards. Cause that's, that's my jam, which, which this did, this did this, since we're just, we're just fully into the pizza mode right now. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm, I, I mean, haven't just, had lunch.
1: Uh, I'm so hungry. Now I'm going to go eat. I'm I, so hungry.
0: I am too. I'm, <laughs> I'm right there with you. So don't, don't think that we're not suffering the same way right now. Yeah, okay. Danny Maynard asks, uh, he wants to know, are you a victim of pizza addiction, and how do you deal with it if so?
1: Of course. See, here's the problem with other people that want to trash talk Chicago deep dish pizza. What you're missing is that I just love all pizza. Just period. Like, there's just Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with pizza. One of my favorite meals of all time is cold pizza from the night before. Like, what yes. is better than just getting a slice of pizza out of the fridge and just taking a big old bite out of it? Nothing. Nothing is better than that. I will answer the question for you. My wife and I have what we call emergency pizza, which is a gluten-free frozen pizza that is fantastic. Uh-huh. Um, so I just, I'm a lover of all things pizza, and so I can appreciate New York style pizza, Metropolitan, whatever—all pizza is created equal, like humanity. Anyone else that says anything otherwise is being short-sighted, and you should open up your mind, Philippe. Okay,
0: okay, I like it. That sounds like it's spoken like a true pizza addict, and so I'm glad that you're one of us. I'd like to you <laughs> into our society of pizza lovers. So good, and. And uh and you've passed the test. You've passed all the tests with flying colors. And this is this is one hundred percent the right answers. Uh you're Thank you're you. in. Yeah. Thank you. So um I don't know I don't know how much we don't have much time left. And I don't know how much you want to get into this, but this was brought up and also I don't know how much you can get into this. So, you know, okay. there's there's some trepidation here. Uh but in current events, uh Evan mm-hmm. Gundy know you know as a retailer you probably have a unique perspective on this Uh, what is the perspective your perspective on the latest gibson controversy and the lawsuit and all that some people want to know what if you have a hot take on that
1: hmm that was i I guess i should have anticipated that one Um, i
0: wasn't anticipating it at all but i'm just going through the list here and uh i should have said that was asked by evan gundy
1: Hi, Evan. Thanks for the hard question. I appreciate it. I will say this. I will say that, um, wow, I don't know what I'll say. Uh, I think that, um, I I think it was, uh, I think it was a mistake. I think that Mm -hmm. people make, I think people make mistakes. Um, not to the degree of something like this, but as someone who's been doing uh, demo videos for CME for the past six years almost, uh, scrutiny on the internet is some of the most difficult th- things to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. be- because it's really hard not to to take the bait, and it's really hard not to take it personally. Um I generally am a, a person that tries to be pretty forgiving. I, I know this is probably not the hot, juicy answer that anybody wants. Um, I, I yeah, I think it was. I think it was a mistake, and and people people make mistakes, you know. And being at the top of you kind of your remarketing, rebranding thing, and, and um and, and coming out and doing that, it is, is probably the wrong decision. Um, but you know, I I think that there are, I think that there are a lot of people that are pushing back on it and, and, and gravitating towards it because they do want to just be a part of the, the commotion in regards to it. You know, like, um, I watched it. I know what was said. Um, I think that, uh, man, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That's a hard one. There is a hard, there are are some, yeah, there are some things that I would say that I would be fearful because I feel like people, I feel like people wouldn't understand and people don't, don't understand. Um, you know, there have been times in my experience
0: context or something.
1: No, it's not, it's not that I don't want to, I don't want to defend anything. It's just, you know, I, I think it's a hard, time to say anything about anything sometimes you know and so in a world it creates a lot of vagueness i, I don't think that uh, it, it's it behooves a large mm-hmm. manufacturer to um come down on boutique builders but you know fender also has done that throughout the years they just don't do it publicly so this is true it,
0: they definitely you do. know
1: but for you know for for some good reasons so i don't know that's not I'm not, I'm not answering the question and I know that I'm dancing around it because it just don't, I don't feel like it's, I don't think the whole situation just makes me really sad for everybody. If that, if that's the most succinct answer I could give, it's just, it's just unfortunate for everybody. When things like this happen, there are people involved. I I know Mark, I like Mark, you know, like, so it's just, it's not fair to rip into people or situations without knowing the full story and not a lot of people get to know the full story. So um that's my diplomatic answer. I I feel I feel I feel sad for my friend Mark and I also feel sad for some boutique builders I know. And it's just, you know, it sucks.
0: Yeah. That's probably the best actually that there. That we could just cut all that other stuff out. It sucks. Mm -hmm. It just sucks. We'll just put that
1: sucks for everybody it sucks for everybody and other people have done things you know from other companies that also suck so just kind of remember that
0: it's very true i i just uh you know as a as a consumer and also as i'm a gibson fan like i own more gibsons than anything and i've always played Les paul's like yeah i'm i i am a i'm a big gibson fan and so i've like just been rooting for them for a long time. I I mean, don't get me wrong, in twenty fifteen I had some things to say about uh about those changes, but I still sure. like am a big fan of the brand and the history and the company. And uh I've also real always really liked Mark stuff as well. I don't know him the way you do, but I've always really enjoyed him and the content that he's put out. And and so to see that was like I was like taken aback a little bit. And I was also like, hmm, this is it's kind of the same thing as you like this is all very unfortunate and i was i was extra bummed because i was like gibson's finally they're finally making a bunch of great moves and then this happened i was like oh my come on boys <laughs> come on boys yeah
1: I, I mean i feel like like i said i feel uh, i feel like they just oh op- that just opens up so many things for me you know like I don't know. Just, I I, want to encourage everyone to remember that there are still great things happening there. And, you know, I, I was just recently telling somebody, I'll speak from my own personal experience about the Gibson brand. How about that? That works. I think that a lot of people call this store or come into this store. I get this question on a daily basis, which is Has Gibson's quality really gone down? And my answer has always been. Now, mind you, I am a Fender fan. My answer has always been that there's never been a period of time where Gibson's quality has has gone down. Bit, they've made some, you know, difficult decisions over the past. Um, what happens is, and I think that this is hard for all brands, not just Gibson, not just the boutiques. Um, you have some big box stores that don't take care of their instruments. And so on a large majority people's experience with those instruments are walking into those stores and they're not in tune and the action's very high and they have problems because they're not they're not catching them. They're not worried about the quality of that customer's experience. And so a lot of what people have experienced about Gibson over the past couple years, I don't fully blame on Gibson, and I'm telling you, I've been to all of their factories, and I've met the people who have run those factories for many years, and the irony about the the boutique world versus the Gibson world is that some of the Luth- luthiers, some of the master builders that have worked at Gibson for years, have designed some of the more interesting boutique looking things to pitch for the market and sometimes those things just don't happen because of business you know and and the unfortunate thing about working in retail music retail is that we're having to very difficultly forge the idea of artistry and business right like those two rubbing up against each other is are really really difficult things to to figure out how to navigate so um the people that are working on the factory lines and making the design decisions for that company are are doing a fantastic job and i can say that with 100% confidence to anybody who would be worried about about that
0: i i would agree with you i actually have played way more gibsons in my life that were that were passable or excellent than i have mm-hmm. really bad ones Honestly, like way more, way more nice ones than I have bad ones. Yeah, Yeah. I've seen I've we've all seen the pictures on the Internet and we all know why the headstocks break sometimes. Like, we all know. We all know that. Like, yeah, it's not news to anybody. But like at the same time, I don't know. The headstock break is just how the design is. Like, it's just how it is. And. Yeah. Any attempt to fix that like when they were adding volutes and trying to do anything has been met with a bunch of of pushback. So yeah. it's kind of like, well, if you don't want them to fix it, then you got to stop complaining about it because yep. they've yep. tried before and and everyone yeah. pushed back. So I you know do you that's You want the that's... legacy
1: or do you want functionality? Wh- which one do you want? You can't have you can't have both. You can't have yeah. both. Do you want do you want the thing that looks exactly like your idol's guitar? Then it's gonna have it's gonna have issues. You know, one thing that we run into all the time at the store is uh, dye bleed into the binding. It's like that happens. I have looked at a fifty nine and a sixty Les Paul. That is mm-hmm. what happens. That is what's gonna happen. It is a chemical reaction between your hand and that dye, and it is not a flaw from the factory. It is that's that is what happens. So I'll, I don't know a lot of a lot of people's perception on on what's going on is um is just kind of entangled in the internet machine and and as much I try to be a part of the internet <laughs> I try to be a part of the internet machine but not get like caught up in the fire of it
0: you know I yeah I I'm with you I I'm obviously very much a part of the internet machine and I but I do try to I try to I try to be, you know, I get outraged about things sometimes like anybody else, but I do try to take a step back and look at things and and make if I'm going to make a statement about something, I try to make it as uh, accurate as possible and also not just be, it's easy to dial in, you know, dive into the flame more. That's like the easy thing to do, but to try to be. Accurate in your responses, I feel is is nice, which you, I think you've done a good job with on uh, with kind of difficult segment.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that was a that was a hard right turn from the pizza.
0: I almost didn't ask it because it was so aggressive. I was sitting here reading it, going, "Oh, maybe we're not going to get into it." But like, oh, I really want to know what he thinks about this. So, I I'm sorry, but sometimes no,
1: no, it's fine. Like it, like I said, I think it's I think it's really easy to just assume the worst and i don't i just that's not how i like to live my life and and from my perspective and and working here um you know some of the gripes that people have about any of these issues um i get to actually go work with those vendors and make some of those changes and that that's that's the cool part of this job
0: for sure for sure well man thanks for so much for coming on i i had a really great time talking to you and you know so yeah Thanks for getting into that there at the end. We were we were pretty chill, and then that got a little bit gnarly. But um, no, it's cool, for man. Given your opinion and and hanging out, and all the information has been just fantastic. So thank you.
1: Yeah, no problem.
0: So uh, before we sign off here, is there anything you want to leave the folks with? Anything you need to tell them? Get off your chest.
1: No, I think I just I think I just did. I think I just. <laughs> I think I just did. Um, I'm on the, on the internet at Shelby Pollard on Instagram. Um, if you have any questions about Jazz Masters, you can always call me. If you like to talk about guitars and you're in Chicago, come by Chicago Music Exchange and I'll show you around the shop.
0: Okay. I will. I will. That's a high on the, the goals list for me. I need to get over there. It's a, it's a bucket list item. Absolutely. All right, everybody. For Shelby, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Okay, we did it. We made it through. We're here at the end of the episode. So thank you very much for tuning in. Make sure you check out all things CME, even though I'm sure you're already doing that. And make sure you give uh, Shelby a follow on Instagram. I know he'd like it, and he, he puts out a lot of good stuff on there. So make sure you do that. It's just at Shelby Pollard, like he talked about you can find it. It's easy. It's easy. And if you're, you know, not following the Tone Mob on Instagram, that's something you could do. I've been putting up a lot of IGTV videos lately. Um, you know, just uh, some kind of, just basically demos just in a little bit different form. Um, trying to, like, work with the video, the vertical video uh, format and make it, like, as cool as I can. I don't know. I'm still really new to video stuff, but sonically, they sound pretty cool and and People have been digging them, so you can go to the IGTV page. The it's you can go to it to it through your normal Instagram app. You can download the uh, IGTV app if you want to, but you don't have to. You can get it get at it through the normal IG. And yeah, I've got like four or five videos up. I've been trying to do one a week. Uh, we'll see how that goes. This is all new for me, uh, like I said. So uh, if you want to hear what the D seven sounds like, I did a D seven video last week. So that's the last thing I did. Uh, if you're looking for some weird black-and-white Dungeons and Dragon themed video, you'll see you'll see what I mean. But anyway, uh, thanks for tuning in. If you could tell a friend about the show, obviously that helps an enormous amount. Uh, throw us an iTunes review. And don't forget, if you want to buy gear and help support the show at the same time, all you have to do is go to ToneMob.com slash Reverb for all of your gear purchasing needs. And a little pur- purchase... A little purchase... A little purchase... Portion... Purchase, purchase, portion Ugh, I've been talking so much (laughs) a little portion of each sale will go back and help keep this thing going so without further ado I'll talk to you next time and all that good stuff later one last thing before we totally sign off here I just want to remind you